Super Talk Mississippi media production. What is Moondog? Moondog Makers and Bakers is not just a catering company. It's blended tradition with innovation and something familiar just done differently. To get a taste of what they're truly all about, you can order some awesome merch, crafted spice blends, or request catering for your very own event. MoondogMakersandBakers.com What is up on a Thursday opening day? Um, a special Thursday edition of the Rebel Report podcast, kind of an opening, oh, completely opening day centric. Um, we'll have our first two guests on ever of this podcast. I actually didn't tell them that they were the first two guests. I wonder if they'd award that as like a badge of shame or something. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, but Colin Brister is here with me as always. We'll go through some. Baseball predictions, divisional predictions, AL, NL, Cy Young, maybe MVP, Rookie of the Year, things of that nature. It is opening day. I'm excited. I don't want to say it like snuck up on me because I have been keeping up with spring training and like reading up and everything. But like just whenever you have it like in March instead of April, it always just feels like it got here quicker than you thought, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it feels like opening day changes every year how they do it. So it kind of picks up on you every year. But yeah, glad it's here and it, and it should be treated as a national holiday. I, I'm excited because on, at least on the, and I talk, I got into, so we'll, I didn't even say who the guests were. We'll have Mark Sheldon on, who was my old boss from this summer. I did an internship in Cincinnati, Ohio, is with MLB.com as uh, an associate reporter covering the Reds. He is their full-time reporter. He's covered the team since 2006. He covered the Minnesota Twins from 2001 and 2005. And then we also have Chandler Rome, who's in his second season covering the Houston Astros. Um, two good dudes, great reporters. They give a lot of good insight. And one of the things I got into them with was there seems to be, particularly in the National League, more teams trying to win, which I find yeah. interesting. Because other than the Marlins and the Padres, and I say the Padres, and at least they're putting, like they're not doing the service time manipulation thing. Excuse me, allergies are getting me this morning. They're not doing the service time manipulation thing. Like, they have Tatis and a couple of those other guys on their opening day roster. But really, my point being, other than the Marlins and the Padres and kind of whatever the Giants are trying to do, everyone else is trying to win. Yeah, there's, there's not – I mean, the Giants are trying to win, but they probably should be. Um, but, yeah, like you said, everybody's trying to win and, and trying to trying to get uh, you know, into the playoffs. I guess maybe I could argue the Diamondbacks a little bit there. But other than that, I mean, it's, it's a really competitive uh, league right now. On the other on the other side of the American League, it's not quite the same. Like the the American League Central is still kind of a wasteland. The American League East would be really competitive because I think a lot of people forget the Rays won ninety games last year and didn't get in the postseason, and they got better. So that'll be super competitive. The West kind of the same, not really. Like I I talked to Chandler about that a lot because there's a couple of teams in there. Like it's interesting. He got into a lot of like so the Astros signed a lot of people this offseason to extensions and it's something the Astros don't normally do and he was talking about how you know Lunho and those guys running the Astros are kind of trying to to buck this whole trend of five-year window rebuild five-year window shut it rebuild they're trying to contend for 10 to 15 years and I found that super interesting and the way he explained it is they really are set up to do that because they they're they're back-to-back ALCS's they have the number five farm system in baseball, and they just signed a bunch of guys to extensions. Yeah, that, that's how you win because a lot of, like you said, a lot of these teams, you know, the Cubs are a good example. Their window is shutting because they don't have anything really, you know, behind these guys because they've traded for all of them. Um, so that the, the Astros are going about it that they're going to be here for the long haul, and, and they've, you know, taken steps to do that with the extension of Bregman and and that type thing. And so, like, when's the last time? Because I, I found that interesting once he started getting into that. Like, when is the last time, other than, like, obviously the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Dodgers with just monstrous payrolls, because the Astros aren't one of those teams. They're not a small market team, but they don't have that kind of payroll. When's the last time you've seen a team try to contend for over a decade like that? The, the, the Braves, when they won, yeah. what, 11 East championships in a row. And he actually kind of mentioned the, the Braves last year kind of reminded him of the 16 Astros that kind of kind of got there a year early. Right. So, the problem with that for the Braves is that everybody else in the division got better and they did. Yeah, and so we'll get into that. And then Mark got into some stuff because the Reds, while they're probably not going to make the jump from 68-win team to the playoffs this year, they were. You could, you could make an argument the Reds were the most aggressive team in free agency in the National League. And yeah, for sure. They spent a lot of money. They're an interesting team. And that whole division is interesting because you have, obviously, like, 
the Cardinals got better at Goldschmidt. The Brewers are still for, formidable, got a little bit better. The the Cubs are still the Cubs. And then, like, it's kind of one of those things, like, kind of count the Pirates out at your own risk because their lineup's not that great. But you can make an argument they have the best front-line rotation in the division. So, like, you don't talk about a daunting division. The NL Central and, really, the NL East are two just kind of, kind of meat grinders. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want any part of that because I think the Reds can be pretty good and win 79 games this year. Um, because they got to play the Cardinals, uh, the Cubs, and the Brewers 19 times apiece. So, um, you know, that could set you back. So, But, yeah, like you said, two really good divisions. I think uh, I think Atlanta's probably going to take a step back just because, frankly, they didn't really get better when two other teams inside their division did. So we'll go – so what we'll do is we'll go around. We'll start with the National League, and then we'll give you um, Mark Sheldon's interview. He had a lot of good stuff, talked about kind of free agency – and what kind of what surprised him there, what the Reds did, how the vibe is different in a clubhouse when you kind of bring in more talent from a rebuilding team to a, to a team that's kind of at least looking towards contending, if not directly contending this year. Got into some different topics. He had some good insight on free agency and some other stuff. So I guess starting with the National League, we'll go with the National League East. It is a division where Bryce Harper stays in the division, changes teams, but still, the the I, I liked what the Nationals did, adding some pieces around that. Like they're still going to be right there. Like I don't I don't see the like the Phillies are probably the favorites, but I don't see it as overwhelming. Uh, no, I don't think it's overwhelming at all. Um, I think Washington's definitely the number two after what they added, and Atlanta's probably the number three, and the Mets are the four. People forget about the Mets and them adding Diaz and and uh, Cano. So um, you know you got four pretty good teams there in the East. Yeah, it's like everyone in that division is really kind of, I don't like. I don't know if you call it a like the, I don't know if you call it a window with the Mets, but like the Braves are certainly in their window. The Phillies have kind of just like forced pride their window open. Yeah. And then the Nationals have been good for quite a while. So other than like whatever it is the Marlins do, like that's that's four teams. That's going to be a tough division. I'm not so. I guess I'll probably take the Phillies to win it just off sheer talent alone but yeah, if the like it's I'm split between them and the Nationals like I I, I I mean you could convince me the Nationals win it but I just you look at the roster and I don't know how you would come to a conclusion that Phillies not more talented yeah but it's it's yeah it's the girl you got Reese Hoskins I think Kingery takes over at third for uh Franco I mean it, it's it, Odubel Herrera is a really good player um, I, I just don't know how you can look at that roster and think that it's not more talented than Washington. Yeah, and they add David Robertson, and then I kind of like the McCutcheon addition because it, oh, you yeah. know he's definitely kind of over the hill, but when you're trying to build like a championship-caliber team, having that kind of guy in a clubhouse every day is certainly helpful. And that was one of the things Chandler got into. You'll hear a little bit later talking about, because I asked him if there was any like, like complacency the Astros battled last year, and he was like, look, those guys – like really, really like each other, and so they don't need, like they enjoy each other's company. They don't really need to be motivated. He 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 brought up the fact that AJ Hinch was a psychology major, and so he kind <laughs> of he kind of understands kind of how to to work a clubhouse and get those guys kind of in the right frame of mind. And so I, I think that's important, particularly in a sport like baseball, when you're you know for 180, 190 something days in the regular season, you're together pretty much every day. Yeah, I mean you gotta like each other. You're probably not going to have good chemistry, and and that matters in baseball. So yeah, uh, but I think I, I think that might be something to look at as, as a possible downfall for the Phillies. But I do believe in the end, kind of talent wins out. Well, that seemed like what got him last year. You had that crazy story. Uh, the who did you see that a couple weeks ago? Who smashed the Xbox? I have not seen this. No. Um, hold on. I've, his name is eluding me. Someone smashed an Xbox. Sounds like you should be so, arrested. You know they they crumbled down the stretch yeah. last year. Like I mean, the, the Phillies were like right in it until like in early yeah, August. Yeah, they fell apart. Yeah, I mean they were they were like historically bad the last couple months of the season. But Jeff Passan, a reporter at ESPN, came out with a story saying that like there were some chemistry issues between the older guys and younger guys in the clubhouse. And at one point, hold on, I'm trying to look this up. I kind of need to know who smashed the Xbox. Here we go. I'm trying to think who on that roster would smash an Xbox. Arietta Carlos Santana. He Guys were playing Fortnite during a game, so one, one day in late, I think it was late August, early September, he took a baseball bat to the Xbox. 
wait, they were playing Fortnite during a game? Yes, apparently. Okay, I can kind of understand that one. Yeah. So, anyway, club chemistry matters. So, I'll reluctantly go the Phillies in this, although I, I don't I, I have a hard time with the Nationals kind of in the young core they have and then their pitching rotation. Like, I have a hard time, like, convincingly, like, make, like I, I'm not very... I'm not very confident in that pick, I guess. No, no, for sure. So, I'm pretty confident in the other two divisions, though. Um, so I guess we'll go to the Central now. What is you're that confident in the Central? Yeah, the Brewers are going to win it. I mean, I guess you could talk me into the Cardinals if they got hot. But I think the Cubs are done. Um, and I think the Brewers are just, people just kind of forget about them. That team was a win away from the World Series last year. Oh, yeah, no, 100%. Like, I think the Brewers are the favorite in the division, but, like, when the Cardinals add Goldschmidt and a couple of pitching pieces, like, I just – it that division's going to be a gauntlet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really good division, but I think the Brewers are the, are the what, yeah, best managed team in the division. I think they probably have the most talent in the division with Yelich and, and those guys and Kane. I, I just kind of think they win it by a game or two this year. If you look up, they're probably in the NLCS again. What, what what do you think led to the Cubs' complacency this offseason? Like, are they just kind of... They want a World Series, man, and I think anything else is gravy. The Ricketts aren't going to spend money if they don't have to. I mean, they've always kind of been like that. And, you know, the Lester deal and the, and the Hayward deal kind of blew up on them a little bit. The Lester deal, not so much. But that's kind of been the, the way it is, the way it's been for a few years now, is they just don't want to spend money anymore. It's their money, I guess, but it's, it's really not going to help fan support. So the Hayward deal, like, it's a bad contract. Like, I know he had the moment in the 2016 World Series during the rain delay or whatever, but, like, that's not worth the, the, the nine-figure deal. Like, I mean, it's... No. It's... I mean, there's no rectifying that at this point, right? Like, you can't... Like, we can't... Like, we're not going to revisit this in a couple years. Like, actually, that worked out okay. No, no, no. He's going to be horrible. And, I mean, he's a he's a positive... Uh, you know, I mean, he he's a two-win player a year or so. So, I mean, it's not... a not the worst contract in baseball. That's Albert Pujols, but um, no, you're not getting the production you need out of him to give the salary that you do, and and they're just kind of scared off by that. But I have a hard time believing that. I, I, I get what you're saying with the Ricketts and, and that, and not not really be, being able to win. I not being willing to spend money, but like when they went and got Theo, like that doesn't seem kind of how he rolls. Like so, that's been the most shocking to me. Like, do you think his hands are tied or what? Yeah, yeah, I think his hands are tied. I don't. I mean, Theo Epstein's proven to win anywhere, so I don't really think there's much he can do at this point. So, I'm looking at a couple of these win projections, and going back to the East for a second, it this has the Nationals at 88, Phillies and Mets at 87, and the Braves at 83 wins. That's I mean, oh, wow, so they're projecting the Nats to win. Yeah, but but you can't get any closer than that. No. Uh, Wow, I didn't expect the Mets to be that high. Well, you still do. I mean, the Mets win healthy, and you just like it's almost like you expect the Mets to have a couple of devastating injuries in the rotation each year. But if that rotation is healthy with what they added to the lineup, it makes sense. They extended Degrom yesterday too, didn't they? They did. So he's not going to be trade bait because he was going to be trade bait in July, probably. And then, um, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that that could help them going forward, just knowing that he's locked up and, and you know Thor's healthy. He's got to stay healthy. I mean, they're really good uh, on the mound and, and kind of in the bullpen. So, uh, I mean, they're definitely a team to look for in the East. I just kind of lean towards the Phillies being more talented. Yeah, and then it's just, like that division is going to pitch the hell out of it, right? Because, I mean, you're still going Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, Anibal, Sanchez, and Jeremy Hellickson for the Nationals. I mean, my God. <laughs> I mean, Arietta, you know, like McCutcheon, a little over the hill, but he's not a scrub here by any means. No, and then, but I mean, you had Patrick Corbin as the three. Like, in the like, could you argue? I mean, I think the Nationals might be better this year. Maybe. I mean, that's, that's not an insane argument, no. Um, I'm no, saying then to... 2017, like then then 2018. I guess not not necessarily like then. Any... Oh, the Nationals are better than 20. Oh yeah, God yes. Which is kind of strange in a year where you lose Bryce Harper. Well, uh, here's the dirty little secret about Bryce Harper. He had one year. He had two, but yeah, <laughs> he's got two seasons with a 900 OPS or better, and he's a negative value defender. So I mean, yeah, he's a good player, but losing him is not going to kill you. Do you think the Braves end up getting Kimbrel? Yes, I do. 
I think they, I mean. I'd read there was a, they were separated by one year. Like he wanted a three-year deal, which seems a lot for a guy at that point. But are you really going to not sign the guy when you haven't done much this offseason? I mean, what, they did They did the Donaldson deal and that was it? Yeah, they did the Donaldson deal. I guess they, um, they signed Brian McCann. But, yeah, I mean, other than that, just give Kimbrell his money. You need him. I mean, it, your bullpen's horrible. So, yeah, just I think they're going to give him three years, $54 million or so. At some point, he'll be on the roster. So the we got off track. We went back to the East. But I just find the East so fascinating because, like, like the big thing with the Braves is you don't think the rotation is going to hold up. Like, Fulte starts the year on the disabled list, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he does. And, and, like, Kyle Wright, as good as and talented as he is, is kind of the number three there right now. Yeah, there's another kid that's a rookie that they've really got a bunch of faith in. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Julio's starting on today, so um, that's probably not going to go great for them. But, yeah, the, the pitching rotation is young. I think it's really talented, but it's young. So, uh, you know, they'll have to put it together rather quickly. So, anyway, back to we'll finish up at the Central. Like, it's projecting the Cardinals winning the division at 87 wins, 86 wins. Bro- I got what? What are the Cubs at? The Cubs are at eighty-three. Now this is Roto Champ. So like there, I mean, there's a couple of different of these out there. But there was one. Did you? There was one that made big headline news earlier in March, or it may have been late February, where they had the Cubs as last place at seventy-nine wins. Did you see that? I mean, I don't know what to make of this team. Like, I mean, I, you tell me they win eighty games. I'm not stunned. I don't know. I mean. I'm a little pessimistic, but I just don't think this team is, is going to make the playoffs. I think at that point, heads roll. Like, I mean, obviously that probably starts with Joe, is what you're saying. But, like, there's that's still enough that's young that's players that's on this team. Oh, yeah. That's, that's what's disheartening is that, uh, I mean, you still got roster control of KB, Javi, um, you know, all those guys, and Wilson and you're just kind of not doing anything with it. Now, look, granted, they won a World Series. I get that. But, I mean, you've not really competed since then. Yeah, and it's interesting because, like, you look at their rotation, Lester, Darvish, Hamels, Hendricks, Quintana. Like, that feels like a very, very, like, daunting rotation in 2016. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, uh, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> three years ago, that, that lineup's kick a tail. So, um, right now, not really. And so the Reds are super interesting to me because, like, I guess partly just because I was around it for only, I mean, albeit a very brief time, a couple months, but, like, you know, they were kind of, like, lost in the wilderness in a rebuild, but, like, they're 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 going to roll out Winker, Puig, Vado, Suarez, Shebler, Peraza, Barnhart, Iglesias, and that's with Scooter Jeanette getting hurt and being out a couple months, and that's with Sinzel, who sprained his ankle in one of those last exhibitions in Atlanta that kind of threw a wrench in things. That's with them not on the roster. That's kind of sneaky, formidable. Yeah, I mean, that, that just kind of is what it is. Um, so I, I think the Reds are going to be a really good team this year and probably not make the playoffs, but it just kind of is what it is at this point with them. I was wondering, it may not, and I, this is just like an outsider's perspective, but I was wondering that, like, I thought they might kick the tires harder on a Dallas Keuchel. Because, like, Luis Castillo, Castillo is going to start opening day for him. Then they go Gray, Rourke, DiSclefani, and Tyler Malley. When, and Malley's in there really just because Alex Wood is going to start the season on this able list. But, like, like they did – they bol- like I, it's hard to fault them because they bolstered their rotation, which is what they really, really badly had to do if they kind of wanted to, like, make the change in direction. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird to me that Dallas Keuchel still doesn't have a job on opening day. Yeah, that's what's crazy. You never used to see this with guys not being on rosters on opening day. So um, it's just kind of interesting going forward how they're going to manage that. And then you go out west where, I mean, the Dodgers probably win this thing again, right? I mean, it feels like the Rockies might, like, do it one year, no? I don't uh, think it's necessarily this year. I don't think it's this year. I don't think it's this year at all. I think the Dodgers are kind of just too good with the return of Seager. Yeah, I, I mean, what's, like... How many times can the Dodgers get to the summit um, and then just, like, I don't know. Like, do you think they ever win it? Uh, yes, because I think you just get to that point so many times um, that you kind of – it kind of just happens for you at some point. You break through eventually. So, 
Without further ado, we'll get to Mark Sheldon's interview. He had some really cool, interesting stuff to say, really, about the Reds, the National League, kind of free agency as a whole. Um, so, here, without further ado, here it is, Mark Sheldon. And, and we now welcome on a really awesome guest. He has covered the Reds for MLB.com since 2006. He is my former boss um, from my intern to this ship this summer in Cincinnati, Ohio. A guy I learned a lot from. He's a tremendous writer and reporter. You should read him if you keep up with the Reds or baseball at all. He is Mark Sheldon. Mark, how are you? Hey, Brian. How you doing, man? Doing well, doing well. It's great to hear from you. It's been a while. You know, I was up in, uh, I was actually in Louisville a couple weeks ago. Ole Miss played a midweek series in baseball, and it, it kind of sucked. Like, I saw all the signs to, like, keep, and I was like, man, I just want to keep driving another hour, but yeah, it was, was not in the you. cards. Um, Cincinnati's doing well here. It's, the weather's nice today. It doesn't feel like winter anymore. It's going to be spring soon, so it's all good. That's awesome. I drove about 20 minutes out of my way to find a place in Louisville that had Mad Tree before I went back nice. to the hotel. Definitely well worth the trip. Well, I guess kind of getting started, uh, you know, how, how was Arizona? What was it like? Kind of what was the Reds, I guess, clubhouse dynamic like? I imagine it's a little bit different than years past. Yeah, it was definitely a different uh, setup all year in spring training, or all spring. Uh, they, you know, the new manager is David Bell. He brought in 10 new coaches. The, the coaching staff is significantly younger than the previous. I think the average age of the last coaching staff was like 50 or 49, and, and this one now is like 42, and there's a lot of coaches. There's only like two coaches over 50. So it's, it's, they definitely had some new ideas. They had some different ways of doing things. I saw some different drills that I hadn't seen before. There was a more big focus on sleep. There's obviously a huge focus on analytics, and uh, I just really saw them kind of operate in a little bit of a different way. At the same time, they were still doing the, the, the things that you have to do to get ready for a season and, and playing the games and, and all that other stuff. And, of course, they got down to a 25-man roster, and they're ready to roll on Thursday tomorrow. Can you sense a different feel in the clubhouse? I know that sounds kind of like a like a corny question, but when you bring in you know a bunch more talent than you've had in the last couple of seasons, does it, does it change the way the clubhouse feels at all? Yeah, uh, you're, you're right about the thing. You want to avoid the, the cliche, everyone's uh, got a chance to win and all that, because I, I don't think they're going to go like from 95 losses to the playoffs necessarily, but this team does believe they can do some things. Actually, a lot of these guys think they can win the division. They're very, very excited. I, you, you talk to even the guys that were getting squeezed a little bit uh, out of some playing time because of the additions. If you talk to like Jesse Winker, who is going to be sharing left field or, or right field with Matt Kemp and Yasiel Puig, uh, He's excited. You talk to some of the pitchers that, that may not have a job as you know, as, as or as secure of a job, and they're excited. Everyone was really energized by the moves. Everyone's really energized by David Bell coming in. They're excited about Derek Johnson, about Turner Ward, the hitting coach. There's just a there is a different vibe now. It's just a question of whether they can actually win. The, the one thing that is missing is, is seemingly the complacency. There, were, I think, some guys, and maybe you saw it last year, that so they were. After the three and eighteen start, I think guys just kind of came in and expected to lose, and were surprised that they won. And I think that's kind of been taken away now. They really do expect to win. And it seems like the biggest thing with this this team in the off season was obviously you add Puig and you add Kemp and you add a couple guys offensively. But the, to me, the the lineup was already pretty good. It's, it seems like the biggest difference in this team is revamped the pitching staff and particularly the rotation. Clearly, clearly that was a. Uh, necessary as anything else um they started out with a, a a trade during the winter meetings to get tanner rourke then they pulled off the big trade with the dodgers and in addition to Puig and uh kemp and kyle farmer they got alex wood a left-hander and then they went and really went kind of in a big trade and in, in a sense that, that they got sunny gray from the yankees but then they also signed him to a three-year uh, 30.5 million dollar contract so he's going to be around for a while um and that really was what's gotten people, in addition to the Puig madness, but as far as the real, I guess, generated excitement is that this rotation should be better. Uh, all three of those pitchers are, have kind, kind of coming off off-seasons, but they're all also in positions to succeed here because their stuff kind of plays well within Great American Ballpark. They're all usually capable of keeping the ball down, getting ground outs, and, and things like that. And that, that should make the rotation instantly better. Uh, of course, 
we'll have to see what happens when they actually get into the games. But it, it, there's a reason for encouragement, and they have a, a rotation that should be pretty solid when you join the three guys with the two returning guys and uh, Luis Castillo, who's a very exciting pitcher. He's the opening day starter. And then Anthony DiScofani, who actually looked really good in spring training after some rough years. Were they... What were your overall impressions of their offseason? Because it seemed like to me, you know, from the short time I was there, they were kind of, it seemed not lost in the rebuild, but it seemed like it was kind of hitting its third, you know, fourth or fifth year. Were, were they more aggressive in the offseason than you thought? What were your overall thoughts? And did them playing good baseball for the last couple months of the season kind of expedite their, their I guess, sense of urgency in the winter? Uh, I would say that they were the most aggressive team of all the teams in, in the offseason. Uh, a lot of the national places, that, you know, they all looked at the Reds as like, wow, a lot of teams aren't really doing much this this winter. And then you got to look at the Reds, who have been very frisky with their moves. And, and the Reds were clearly trying to do some things that other teams weren't doing. Uh, I don't think the the season had much to do with the decision, in the, other than the fact that the, the attendance was was lagging, interest was lagging, and uh, I, as as good of a job as I thought that Jim Riggleman did for at least the the middle part of the summer, it kind of kind of went off the end again and towards uh, late August and September. But uh, I thought that the, the the ownership really just wanted to get a whole new sense of influence in the clubhouse. I don't. I I, I wish uh, Jim could have somehow stuck around. It wasn't possible to have a new manager and have him go back to being the bench coach. But uh, they really wanted to not just t- uh, take out the manager, but they really wanted to bring in all new coaches. And the only returning coach is Freddie Benavides, who was the first base coach last year. He's now the bench coach. And they really went out and got guys that are, that are looking at different ways of influencing the players, whether it's through analytics, whether it's through the way they, they approach things. Um, they got some guys that are, you know, for, for some assistant jobs in their early 30s. They brought in a whole slew of coaches that are they're skilled in, in reading analytic data, and they have all the equipment now, like Rapsodo and TrackMan and, and uh, Edgertronic are some of the big digital cameras and stuff that they use. So they're really going all in on this uh, other direction. When you looked around just free agency and and overall this winter, you know, a lot was made of it because it seemed like a lot of the, the marquee signings and some have still yet to happen, but but the top tier free agent signings it seemed took a minute a little bit in the spring to get. I thought a little bit of that was overblown when people was talking about the system was broken and all that. Were were you what were your overall impressions? Were you surprised guys got the length and money they got? Just kind of what did you think of whether it was Harper, Machado, or even Trout kind of signing that extension recently? What, what, what did you think? Well, I think the big guys always get their money. I, I, I know there's a lot of hemming and hawing about this guy's not signed and there's not, you know, the, the, the word collusion gets thrown around. But at the end of the day, these guys are getting their money. And I think the, the, the people, the problem is, though, that the smaller free agents, if you will, uh, like Dallas Keuchel is not a, a the biggest. He's now the biggest free agent left, but you know he's the guy that kind of doesn't fall into the marquee name. But he's not a, a journeyman either. He's the kind of guy that gets kind of squeezed. And I think that the problem is is that the the way things are all set up now, whether it's through the agents or through the union or even the clubs, is that they really do focus on the top one percent of the free agents as far as the talent and the money. And then a lot of these other guys are kind of getting squeezed out, and that's that's the kind of the way the business is. I think teams have smartened up. Uh, they look now at, at actual things like wins above replacement, and they look at how much dollars they're putting in and how whether they can get a return on their investment. Back in the 90s especially, it seemed like they were throwing out nine-figure contracts to schlubs, you know, the guys that were pitching with 500 records and four-and-a-half RAs, and those days are over. They're, they're being smarter. They're not throwing out as many long-term contracts. Obviously, Harper and Machado and uh, Trout are the exceptions, but for the most part, you're not going to see many six-year, seven-year contracts for pitchers Unless they really think those guys are the you know the goods have the goods the, the Homer Bailey contracts for instance are probably over, so uh, I, I just think the system's changing. I think clubs have smartened up. The GMs are younger. They're using more uh, technical means of trying to uh, predict value, and that's just kind of where it's going. When you look at the Central, it's a really intriguing division because. I mean, even like you have teams like like the Reds, who are the most aggressive, like you said, in in the league during the off season, and and even like the Pirates seem to have maybe have one of the better rotations, if not the best rotation in the division. Where do you think the Reds fit in in the landscape of what seems like a pretty daunting division? It really is a daunting division, and I think you can make a case in some circles for any of those teams, one through five, to be a playoff threat. Um, it's 
it's going to be interesting because Baseball Prospectus, I believe, has the Cubs winning 79 games and the Reds winning 81, which is fascinating to me. Um, I look at the Reds as if they get to 500, I think they should be pretty happy. If that's 81 wins, that, that that's a 14-win jump from last year, and that's pretty solid. That's a good building block to take them into 2020. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of people saying that the division might only be won with 88, 89 games. So that's telling me that the Reds would be in it to the end if they win 81. And then if you're in it to the end, you never do know. If you have a surge, if some other team has an injury, things go wrong, a team chokes, the Reds could be in it. So I, I don't discount them. I just think they have to. It's very, very important that they get off to a hot start this spring, uh, this this month. They they can't afford to go obviously out the, the gate three and eighteen again. But certainly they don't even want to be like you know five and fifteen or five and twelve. They they need to show that they can uh, establish the legitimacy pretty quickly and, and then see what happens and catch some momentum. And if they can do that, I think they can at least be a factor in the division because it's going to be a dogfight all year long. It was interesting to me looking around after the offseason shook out the way it did. When you look around the National League in particular, it's gotten to the point where it seems like virtually everyone is trying in some fashion, aside from, I would say, probably the Marlins, the Padres, but even they have Tatis on the on the opening day roster, and I don't, I'm not necessarily sure what the Giants are doing. It seems like there are more teams than ever, at least when you talk about it in the last half decade, trying to win it once in the National League. Do you see that, and what do you attribute that to? I, I, I couldn't say what I can attribute it to. I could just say that, yeah, teams are definitely more in it to win it. I think, again, the, the front offices have gotten different and smarter, and especially the small market teams. They know they can't keep up with uh, the bigger teams financially with the big giant contracts, and the only way they can do it is if they draft well and and develop well, and there's, there's been a huge uh, emphasis on that. Uh, even when the Cubs were, were tanking and, and losing a lot of games, and obviously they have the financial wherewithal to, to supplement what they need, but they also look young, and they developed Chris Bryant and drafted him and Kyle uh, Schwarber and guys like that, and that's where you're seeing these guys kind of showing up now. So I just think there's definitely been a bigger emphasis on the prospects. The Reds have done it as well. They're, they've been less successful in getting – their top flight prospects all the way to the major leagues and being successful. They've got a few guys, um, but there's. I, I just think it's that's just the way that things are going now. What is uh, a lot was made last week? I guess was kind of in the news cycle of Nick Senzel starting the season in Louisville. What is kind of? I mean, obviously, I know. I guess generally, but just for for people listening, what do you think the kind of plan is there for him this year, as far as when he comes up and what position he plays and how that kind of affects the outfield? Yeah, uh, unfortunately for, for the Reds and Senzel, they had a little wrench thrown in. Uh, he, a couple of days ago, he was sliding into second base and caught a spike, and he, he sprained his ankle. So he's going to be in a walking boot for about a week, and then he's going to be kind of delayed and getting back for multiple weeks. So that's, a, that's an unfortunate thing. He's, another injury has kind of come back and, and bit him. But the, the plan going into the season before this happened was uh, that he was going to go to AAA and get some reps exclusively in center field. And uh, and then when he was ready, they felt they would have him come up and be the center fielder, uh, where Scott Shevler currently is. Uh, now, when uh, the day after, or the day actually, they sent Senzel down, Scooter Jeanette, the second baseman, which is one of Senzel's primary positions uh, before the outfield switch, he's going to be out for two to three months with a groin injury. And of course, the, the a lot of wisdom from the fans at least was well why not just call up Senzel back and put him at second base even though he hasn't touched the position in months so uh, the Reds decided they did not want to go that route and they wanted to keep him groomed in center field so that when uh, when he's ready that he can just go right in and play and, and not be affected by other positions now what happens next year I don't know I could see Jeanette leaving as a free agent and Senzel going to second base we'll see but right now they're, they're he showed he could play the position. He only got 12 or 13 games as a typical spring training goes, but he, he acquitted himself well, showed he could hit. I, I think that he has a chance to be a good center fielder, especially at Great American Ballpark. When you look, I mean, I, I know you, you're, you're hyper-focused on the Central because the team you covers there, obviously you see a lot of all the games, but what do you make of, of, of the East and kind of what the Phillies did with Harper and even the Nationals seem to get you know, better after losing Harper. What do you what do you kind of make of that division? It seems like there's three or four teams that are really kind of neck and neck there. 
Yeah, short of the Marlins, the other four teams look like they're going to be pretty tough. Not only the Phillies are getting Harper, but they also got JT Real Muto. Uh, they, they made some other additions that make them a very, very attractive team to win the whole division, if not the whole thing. Uh, the, you know, the Nationals have lost Harper, but they're still a very big, talented team with Anthony Rendon and uh, Max Scherzer and they have a they they added Patrick Corbin to the rotation, so they have a great pitching staff, and I think they can overcome the Harper loss. Uh, the Mets are in some ways a mess, but the other way is they have a lot of good stuff going on there. They have the great pitching with Syndergaard and Degrom, and then they they just have a, a good lineup, and they have this uh, Pete Alonso, their first baseman, their their big prospect is here and, and ready to go, and then you throw in the the other guys they have already, and that's. That's a pretty solid team too. They just have to also overcome the kind of the years of losing to see if they're they're part, you know can make the jump or not. So I think those teams are the ones to watch, and uh, and, and then we'll have to see. But uh, it's going to be the, the NL in general is a very uh, interesting league as far as over in the West you got the Diamondbacks and the and the Dodgers, and now the Padres are making some hay. So it's it's going to be interesting all around. Is opening day any different for you coverage wise? Like, do you eat Skyline as a soup, uh, as a pregame meal, as a tradition? Anything, anything like that? No, I, I don't do that. But I will. Uh, I mean, it's it's unreal here how uh, much of a, like a civic holiday it's become. And uh, unfortunately, I've never been able to go to the opening day parade because I'm always working at the ballpark. But there's a for the people that don't that listen that don't aren't familiar with Cincinnati though. That's it's basically like a holiday. They have a uh, the, the 100th Finley Market opening day parade that goes about a mile and a half from uh, north of downtown into the downtown area, and it's just it's insane. And of course, it's a sellout game, and there's a lot of pomp and circumstance. This is the 150th anniversary of the Reds, so there's going to be celebrations of that all season long, and starting with uh, Thursday. Um, but yeah, Skyline Chili, Grater's Ice Cream, those are usually big staples of Cincinnati uh, the culinary scene, so to speak, and. Uh, uh, I will not be getting Skyline, but since I just got home from Arizona, I will be getting it soon. There you go. Well, Mark, I think that's about all we had for you. I, I really appreciate your time. It, it's really great to hear from you. I, I had an experience of a lifetime last summer and, and learned a whole hell of a lot. And A lot of that is from you being patient with me, and I, it, it, it made me a better writer and reporter. And Good luck this season. Hey, Brian, thanks. It was a pleasure working with you uh, last season. I enjoyed you immensely, and uh, thank you for all your help. I definitely wish you all the luck in the world down in Mississippi. And that was our interview with Mark Sheldon. A lot of good stuff he got into there. I found it interesting some of the remarks he had on kind of the free agency and how like it affects the second-tier guys, and we kind of talked about it earlier in the show that it's weird that Dallas Keuchel and guys like Craig Kimball are still kind of looking for work as, as opening day is here. Chandler Rome, we'll get into that in a minute. Colin had to split, had to take care of something. So we didn't get in the predictions before that interview. So I, I guess we, we go through the divisions and just so we have it on record, I will hesitantly go Phillies in the East, Brewers in the Central, and Dodgers in the West. I'm not really going with any hot takes there one as far as the wild card i will go the st louis cardinals and i'll go the washington nationals so those are my five nl playoff teams as far as cy young i think in the national league it might be scherzer i mean it's kind of hard to argue with that at this point and and if if the Nationals are going to compete in that division. Obviously, he's going to be have to have to be as good as advertised for National League Rookie of the Year. I will go. This was still a tough one because there was a lot of ways you could go. Fernando Tatis, Nick Senzel with the Reds. You could go Victor Robles. I I think I'll go Robles because I think again if the Nationals are going to be kind of around that 88-89 win projection like people are seeing it and compete to that vision at the end. I think Robles is going to have to be really good in that lineup. So those are my predictions for the National League. It should be an interesting year. As we kind of mentioned earlier, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's a year where I don't know if it's just teams' windows opening all at one time, but there are more teams than, than ever, it seems like, in the last little bit competing. I mean, really, other than the Marlins, the Padres, and whatever it is the Giants are going to end up trying to do, there's a, more teams trying to win. In the American League, it's not necessarily the case with that. The Astros don't really have much competition 
in the AL West. And you'll, you'll hear Chandler kind of talk about that and kind of get into what the Astros did in the offseason. They extended a lot of guys. They're trying to expand their window and kind of break the mold of this you know, window for five years, shut it down, window for five years, strip it down type thing. They want to contend for a long time. I mean, the Angels, I guess, could give them a run, but as Chandler will mention in a minute, they kind of have, it seems like they always have some frontline pitching injuries. They're still kind of trying to get out of the cloud of the Pujols contract. You know, the A's are going to kind of do what they do. They're right at an 83-win projection. The A's were kind of the team that gave the Astros the most trouble a year ago. The Mariners are completely stripping it down after kind of hanging in the division race until not really the end last year, late August. They kind of faded mid-August, and then the Rangers are kind of in the thick of a rebuild. So I'll go with the Astros there. Um, the AL Central is a complete wasteland. I mean, the, I, the, the, the Twins will be competitive. I like they added Marwin Gonzalez and a couple other pieces. I mean, but you're talking Royals, Tigers, White Sox, just... Not really much. Like the, Neither one of those teams are in their window trying to win, though. The White Sox are that will be interesting with Jimenez and a couple of those other guys, young guys that they're bringing through the system. I, I think they'll be kind of a frisky team at, at, at certain point, but really the only competition for the Indians is the Twins, and I'm not sure how, how steep that competition is because the Indians have arguably the best, I mean, one of the best, if not the best, rotations in the American League. The AL East is what's going to be interesting to me because you have the Yankees, obviously defending world champion Red Sox, Rays, and then you have obviously the Blue Jays and the Orioles not really not really doing much there. But the Rays are an interesting team because they have a sneaky good lineup. You know, you have the reigning Cy Young and Blake Snell. I mean, pretty decent rotate. I mean, lineup behind them. I mean, rotation behind them. I guess with Morton, Glassnell, Yarbrough, and Krenos, and then they got a couple guys kind of, I think, going to join the rotation a little bit later in the season, and so. The Rays are an interesting team because they win, what, 89, 90 games a year ago, miss out on the playoffs because of how good the division was in front of them, obviously, and then went the Athletics kind of challenging the the Astros in the AL West all the way to the end. There just wasn't another wild card spot, and a really, you know, a really good team was going to get left out, and the Rays were never really in it. They kind of made a push late and kind of got into the wild card discussion, but that will be an interesting division because you kind of have the two the two thoroughbreds in the, in the Yankees and the Red Sox. And then you have the Rays, who are obviously winning a very different way, but but it's worked. And and Kevin Cash is a really interesting manager, a really good manager that that, that tries some different things. I mean, you saw the opener last year, and, and things like that. And so that'll be a really fascinating division because if the Red Sox or Yankees kind of get hampered by injuries, if they struggle on the mound, which was kind of the Yankees' problem, particularly at, at certain points last year. Not necessarily the Red Sox when you've got Sale and Evaldi and, and and David Price. Obviously, they were they were they were as good as a team as, as as there's been in baseball in the last what seven eight years, I would say. But but if the Yankees kind of struggle on the mound a little bit and the Red Sox maybe get a, have a couple injuries, I mean the the Rays will be right there till the end. Um, obviously with the Yankees, I mean the lineup is just uh, absurd with Gardner, Judge, Stanton. I mean, you go on down, like, Torres. I mean, and then they add Troy Tulowitzki. I don't know how much he has left in the tank, but, like, that that's a formidable lineup. So I think I will go... So my bold prediction was the Rays will finish second, and I think I'll go with the Yankees to win the division, and I'll go with the Red Sox taking a slight step back. I think the Red Sox are probably still a wild card team. Like, I'll probably go Rays and what Red Sox for the wild card and go three teams out of that division to make the postseason. But I guess my one bold projection will be the Rays will finish in second place in the American League East. So really by default, that's kind of the the, the divisional predictions. I mean, you, the Astros and the Indians, you can almost kind of pencil in. I think the Yankees were, will win the division, obviously. And then the two, I mean, there's really not even much of a race for the wild card spots. I mean, the Twins will probably hang in it for a while. It wouldn't shock me if the if the Angels or the Athletics obviously kind of kind of bucked above the 83-84 win projection for a little bit. But but I, I think it's almost in the AL. It, all, it almost seems pretty clear-cut already, kind of what it's going to look like. As far as AL Rookie of the Year, I guess we'll start with MVP. I'll go Judge MVP. I think he kind of bounces back. I, I think he'll be – I think he'll be – you know, as good as advertised, I kind of like judging that. As far as Cy Young, you could really go Bauer or Kluber on the Indians. I mean, I, I, Verlander will be a really, really, really tough pitcher and kind of frontline the Astros rotation, but I'm, I'm not necessarily sure I see it as Cy Young. So I'll go 
Kluber is Cy Young, and then I'll go Vlad Guerrero Jr. with the Blue Jays. It feels like, you know, when is this kid ever going to get called up? Obviously, it's going to happen this year, whether it's I mean, what, I mean, it'll be in April. Obviously, he'll play most of the season. I like Vlad Guerrero Jr. with the Blue Jays. And without further ado and getting too long, we will get into our interview with Chandler Rome. Chandler covers the Astros for the Houston Chronicle. He's in his second season covering the team. Um, he came in at an interesting time because he comes in right after they win a World Series. They go back to the ALCS last year. Um, he'll kind of expand on how they're, like I said, bucking the trend and trying to trying to get into a 10-15 year contention window for, for the long term as opposed to kind of a short one before stripping it down as you've kind of seen be the trend the last couple of years. Chandler's a tremendous writer, good dude. Um, you can find his stuff in the pages of the Houston Chronicle. You can go to Houston Chronicle online. His Twitter is at Chandler Rome. We had two really, really great guests today. Mark taught me more than I could I could imagine this summer it was an experience of a lifetime I mean it was really was a dream come true just being around Major League Baseball for a couple months Mark was patient with me through a bunch of mistakes he's a good guy I hopefully may get back up there for a game this summer maybe see Mark and and, and some of those other guys up there but I, I had a lot of fun I I, I think I've, I mean if you've listened to this show I've, I think I've told plenty of people I didn't want to come home it was it was awesome so I really appreciate both of them for giving us their time they have some really good insight it's been a cool show. I'm excited for opening day. And now to close this thing, we will give you Chandler Rome. All right, we now welcome on another awesome guest. He covers the Astros for the Houston Chronicle. He's in his second year covering the team. He is Chandler Rome. Chandler, how are you? What's up, Rippy? How are you, buddy? Doing well, man. Doing well. Um, good to hear from you. So, you know, I, I recall you texted me a couple weeks ago complaining about the heat in Florida as I was, I think I was like, had long underwear on. I was walking to class in like 30 degree weather. Do you feel bad about that at all? Not not particularly <laughs> because I, I I don't do well in heat. I, I'm from Louisiana and like I'm, I'm from the South, but I, I should have been born in the North because I, I love it when it's cold. Like I, I, I would have loved that 30 degree day. I would have loved every minute of it, but I was unfortunately stuck in the sun for seven weeks in West Palm Beach, Florida, and getting paid to be there, so just a terrible existence. Yeah, it just sounds like an awful situation. Well, you can find Chandler's stuff on Twitter at Chandler underscore Rome, R-O-M-E. Obviously, you can find it in the pages of the Houston Chronicle and on Houston Chronicle's website. So I guess overall, more on a more serious note, how was the spring for the Astros? What was just kind of some of the highlights through the through the spring training? There were none. I mean, it was very uneventful. Um, the Astros were one of the few teams across baseball, really, that, that went into spring training pretty much with their 25-man roster set. And barring any injury or just terrible performance, that wasn't going to change. And there were no injuries, and everybody performed about what you expected them to. So they really came out of camp with the same 25-man roster that you really could have predicted before they went to camp. Um, the biggest, I, I guess the two biggest things that happened in camp one, uh, was they had a flurry of extensions toward the end. They extended reliever Ryan Presley, third baseman Alex Bregman, and, and catcher Justin Verlander. They extended all three of them within the span of six days, and it was really kind of a seismic moment for the entire franchise because before those three extensions came out, Jeff Luno had given out, given out a grand total of three contract extensions in the previous eight years. And within those extensions, they guaranteed $183 million. Um, and this was a team that, you know, two or three years ago had a payroll that just eclipsed $100 million. So it really kind of showed that the Astros are taking the next step that, you have, that they're taking in this process to really keeping their window open and keeping their window open for a long time. They locked Alex Bregman up through 2024. Ryan Preston will be here until 2023. And then um, Justin Verlander, only going to be here for two more years, but still two more years of Justin Verlander, especially with the pitching prospects the Astros have coming up, really sets them up well. And that kind of segues into the, the, the other kind of eye-opening part of spring training with how well the Astros pitching prospects really came up and did. And, it's kind of headlined by Forrest Whitley, who's the best pitching prospect in baseball. He's the Astros' best prospect overall. Um, six foot seven, right-hander with five pitches. Um, he was 
as good as advertised. I had, not, I had not seen him pitch in person before spring training, and he really, really threw the ball well. He and Corbin Martin, a Texas A&M guy that advanced college arm, he's the, he's the second-best pitching prospect in the system. And then J.B. Bukowski, the guy that went to North Carolina, two, two advanced college arms there that, that really, really pitched well. And, and they opened some eyes. And I think we knew this before spring training, but spring training kind of reaffirmed that all three of those guys Barring injury or ineffectiveness this year, all three of those guys are going to make their major league debuts at some point this year. So you just kind of hit on it, but but one of my next questions was going to be, with those extensions, obviously Bregman was probably obvious. Verlander doesn't really fit in the category of like the young nucleus. Did, did any of those extensions change, like surprise you at all or change, I guess, how you look at how they're going to extend that window in their big picture, say, in the next five years? I, I guess it, they didn't surprise me because if it were any other franchise, I'd probably say, yeah, they probably do need to extend Justin Verlander, just given given the optics of what's going on. Because before they extended Verlander, four-fifths of their starting rotation is heading into free agency after this year. And once they extended Verlander, obviously, that's one of those out of there. But like I sort of mentioned earlier, with the way the Astros have operated in the last five or ten years, committing the amount of money they committed to those three guys was sort of eye-opening. I mean, they are making Justin Verlander the highest-paid pitcher in 2021 and 2020. I mean, the Astros don't do that. The Astros don't give record-setting AAVs. They don't give guys $33 million a year. And to see them do that was, was certainly a statement to, to, to the fans and to maybe baseball as a whole that, that, that this is not kind of the old school of the way the Astros will run. They're, they're into a new era, and they want to keep winning. Jeff Luno says it all the time, that this is not the, – the one thing he did not want to happen when he took over the team, he did not want this to be a one- or two-year wonder. He didn't want to win one World Series and get to two American League Championship Series. He wanted to be in contention for those things for 10 to 15 years. And the Astros have set themselves up, surely, you know, barring a catastrophe, barring a, a rash of injuries, they've really set themselves up to fulfill that goal. That's a little bit different way of thinking, right, in this era of windows than then tanking and then another window in tanking, right? I mean, 10 to 15 years long time. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Astros wanted to avoid. I mean, Jeff Luno set out to – he didn't want to be like – and I'm going to use it just because they're, they're close in proximity, but he didn't want to be like the Rangers. I mean, the Rangers did what you just mentioned. They, they tanked, and they, they had a window for about three or four years, and then they got into the playoffs, and it didn't go well, and now they're rebuilding again. Um, there's something to be said about the Astros being in the position they're in right now and still having the number five ranked farm system in, in baseball. I mean, they were able to trade for Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole without, you know, selling the farm. And they've been able to, they've held on to some prospects too that a lot of people thought maybe they should have marketed for, you know, a JT Real Muto this offseason. A lot of people were talking about, you know, maybe trade Forrest Whitley for JT Real Muto or trade Kyle Tucker for a guy like that. No, they've been able to hold on to these prospects, and whether they eventually do parlay that in the trades, I don't know. But they've, they've got the number five ranked farm system in baseball, and just to kind of show you where that stands, you know, the Ashers have the number five ranked farm system in baseball. The Red Sox, who just won the World Series, and they have a window as big as, and as open as anybody. They have the dead. They have a farm system ranked dead last in baseball. So that's not where the Astros want to be. They don't want to be constantly saying we've got to do it this year. We've got to do it this year. This year or bust. Sure, they want to win every year, but they have comforted knowing that if things kind of if that they don't get some breaks this year, they're still loaded and they're still reset to go next year. So this sounds like such a canned, like, cliche TV question, but what is the vibe in the clubhouse of a team that, you know, wins the whole thing two years ago, goes to another ALCS last year? I imagine there's some natural complacency there. In this spring, like, what, what is kind of the vibe with this group? Like, is it, does it feel, I guess, easier to be motivated once you're not the defending champion? I don't know. I, 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 they really like each other. I mean, the chemistry on this team is, is really something to see. They they do, they really really like each other, and they don't they don't have to be motivated. They don't have to come in and get a pep talk and be forced to go to work. I mean, this is a team that uh, from 
from the amount of time I spend with them and the amount of time like I, I get to see how they interact, they really do enjoy each other's company, and, that, and that's a big thing. And, and AJ Hinch is a guy, the manager. He he got a commu- he got a psychology degree from Stanford. He understands kind of how to manipulate and how to read the minds of a lot of different personalities. And he's one of the best managers of people I think you'll ever meet. And that is more crucial, I think, than a lot of people give, than a lot of people maybe see on the outside. The way he's able to allow that clubhouse with a lot of different personalities, people from a lot of different countries, people from a lot of different backgrounds, the way he's been able to allow that thing to sort of run itself but have a little bit of input when he has to, and seeing the way that they've meshed together, really, um, it, it's really a part of the franchise and a part of the fabric of this window and, and part of it that really goes unnoticed. But it, it's really among you know the top reasons why the Astros are where they are right now. So expanding outside of them a, a little bit and taking a look around the division, the, the AL West is interesting to me because. It, it, it seems like in terms of teams that have tried to com- like kind of compete and contend with the Astros last year, it's kind of been a revolving door. And now you kind of look at it and, and Seattle seems like they're rebuilding. Oakland still seems to be trying to win kind of in the way they win. And, th- and that whole deal, I, I don't really know what to make of the Angels. In your mind, like who is, who is the biggest competition for them this year in that division? Because there doesn't seem to be a ton. There isn't. Um, you know, last year you could have argued that the American League West was one of the more competitive divisions in baseball. The, the Mariners were winning one-run game after one-run game. The A's seemed like they didn't lose in the second half. And they were really pushing the Astros for a while. And that, I just don't think that's going to be the case this year. The Mariners completely tore down. They've got a, they've got a couple good pieces left. They've got Mitch Hanniger still over there, who's a, who's a really underrated player. But um, they've really torn down. The A's did not really go and address much of what they lost in the offseason. Um, that's a team that, like you said, they, they're, they're going to sort of do it the way they've always done it, which is not to spend a ton of money, and they're going to try to bank on some, some cheaper guys overplaying their potential, and that's what they that's what they got for the most part last year. Now, they still have a, a fierce bullpen with Blake Trinan, who, for my money, is – the best pitcher and is one of the best pitchers in baseball and Blake Trine and coming out of their bullpen. But, but if you had, if I had to, if you had to ask me right now, who was like their competition, I'd probably say the A's only because of what they did last year. But still, I think what they did last year was wholly unsustainable. And I don't think they'll be able to replicate that this year. This is an Astros team that again, barring injury, barring catastrophe should win this division by at least 10 games, if not more. Are you confused at all about what the Angels are trying to do? Uh, yeah. I mean, if their pitchers would stop blowing out, like I think they'd right. be okay. But it seems like every year they've got two pitchers that just have to have Tommy John, and you wonder how it can continue. But they're ob- they've obviously made they obviously made a huge commitment to, to Mike Trout and. And they've got a, and they, now the impetus and the onus is sort of on them to surround Mike Trout with some sort of talent for the 12 years that you have him because they've had him for however long they've had him and they've appeared in three playoff games. I mean, that's just unacceptable with the best player of this generation and probably one of the best players to ever play. And now he's under, he's under team control for the next 12 years. Obviously, they've got Shohei Otani who, I think when he's fully recovered and can do both pitch and hit, he's going to be one of the best players in baseball. I think when they get out from under the Albert Pujols deal, mm-hmm. I think you'll be able to see them maybe start to have a little more flexibility in what they can do. But, um, yeah, the, it, I, I, I applaud the commitment that they made to Mike Trout, and I hope that that just means that they're going to be a little more aggressive and try to surround him with, a winning core because I, I I hate to see such a a great player like that and I don't want to say wasted because he's really performed well there and he hasn't wasted his talents but I hate to see them sort of squander the this kind of golden era of Mike Trout around a lot of mediocrity. How much uh, pressure does that put on Mike Sosha? Well, Mike Sosha got <laughs> he retired. Did you see the Stephen A. clip the other day? I did. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I did see that. I tried to get that out with a straight face. Oh, but so you're 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 hyper focused on the on the AOS. Obviously, that's what you cover. You see those teams more often. But when you kind of look around, it's interesting to me the way the winners shook out for baseball. Um, 
it, it seems like there's like if you look around the National League to me like other than the Marlins and the Padres and I don't even the Padres are putting some of their younger players on the opening day roster not really manipulating the service time deal and I'm not really sure what the Giants are doing it seems like everyone in that league in some capacity is at least trying to win and there seems to be fewer teams in the American League doing that and I'm not necessarily sure it's attributed to anything but have you noticed that and can you kind of put your finger on why? I don't know why for, per se I, I think certainly the American League has less parity. Uh, I think you're on to something there that, I mean, as we sit here today, uh, it's not, it's, I mean, I can almost pencil in that the Astros, the Yankees, and the Red Sox will be in the American League playoffs, and the Indians too, because the American League Central is just a complete wasteland. So, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there is less parity in the American League. Um, certainly, when you look at the National League, um, the Dodgers have just sort of found a way every year, and you look at they they had a more eventful spring training than most with not sure if Clayton Kershaw was going to be able to pitch and then he's come back he's not going to start opening day but it looks like he'll be healthy for the season um, they've 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 kind of been the team that has been really bewildering throughout the first like four months of the season and then they just turn it on in August and September play really well and end up in the World Series every year um, so but but they've got competition I mean the NL Central is going to be a really interesting race to watch unfold. And you look at the NL East, I mean, with Bryce Harper going to Philly, how he kind of responds with the Nats, um, with how the Nats respond to losing him. And then the Braves are a team that sort of remind me of the Astros from a couple of years ago. I mean, they're a team last year that may have been one year ahead. Um, they, they have a lot of young talent. They went at the deadline and got some pieces that they thought could get them over the hump. And, they they got they made the playoffs had an early exit but a lot of similarities in that Braves club to what the Astros did in 2015 when they beat the Yankees in the wild card game and ended up losing to the to the Royals in the American League Division Series. When you looked at how free agency shook out this year, there was a lot made of obviously like you know every time a guy doesn't get paid by it seems like when pitchers and catchers report like everyone screams that the system's broken and there's probably something to that but I think broken may be too harsh a word and it seems like the top guys always get their money. And it seems like really that this whole thing kind of affects the Dallas Keuchel's and the second tier guys more so than anyone else. In your mind, did anything about, I mean, I guess just from the Machado deal and everything else and Trout on down, did anything surprise you? What were just kind of your impressions of how all the free agency shook out from kind of the top players down? Well, sure. It's, it surprises me that neither Craig Kimbrell nor Dallas Keuchel have jobs right now. I mean, we're gonna. I mean, opening day is tomorrow, and Dallas Keuchel won a Cy Young four years ago, and he's unemployed. Uh, that, that's certainly surprising. Craig Kimball is one of the best closers probably in baseball history, and he, he's also unemployed. But, you know, part of that is that these guys have been – they had fantasies, and they, they had kind of – they had in their minds what they deserve and what they're worth and how long of a deal they want, and they're not going to budge off of that. And I think both of those guys fit into that category – about as as perfectly as you can, that, that they're not going to budge on a one- or two-year deal like a lot of those free agents ended up kind of relenting the side late in the game. Um, I think when you look at the Astros and how they doled out their extensions, and just the extensions in general, there were a lot of extensions toward the end of spring training. And Justin Verlander was pretty adamant in saying that, you know, the free agent market had nothing to do with him deciding to sign an extension. I don't know if I believe that. I believe that I believe that a lot of players saw how free agency went this year, and and they were, and I don't want to say scared, but I think that they were more, I think they were more open to staying where they were at, and they were they were more open to knowing that they could get money from a team and stay in a clubhouse and stay in a city where they're familiar. Um, I, I think Verlander brought up a good point, as you did just now, that. The, the top guys, you know, the top of the food chain is always going to get paid. You know, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado were never going to be unsigned before opening day. Um, next year when Garrett Cole enters free agency, Garrett Cole will be the same way. I think Mookie Betts will be the same way next year if he doesn't sign an extension with the Red Sox. So those, the top of the food chain is always going to be taken care of. It's the middle guys. It's guys like Evan Gaddis, who's still unemployed, who – was a really good player and carried the Astros' offense at times 
in parts of the last two or three years. It's guys like Dallas Keuchel, who Keuchel may not be what is in vogue right now in baseball, just as, as in terms of a type of pitcher. He's probably not the sort of prototypical pitcher that's sought after right now in baseball, but you can't tell me there aren't 20 teams in the big leagues that need an innings eater, that need a guy that can go out there and give you 180, 200 innings out of three or four ERA and, and pitch, you know, and, and really be a, I don't want to say an anchor of a rotation, but be just a dependable guy. And I know that there are 20 teams out there that could use Dallas Keuchel. I just don't know. Again, there's a lot of teams that try to hide behind the rebuilding guys. and So, yeah, it, how it shook out did surprise me. And, and foremost among it is that Dallas Keuchel right now, he's one of the best pitchers in Astros history. He's one of the few Astros pitchers ever to win a Cy Young. The Astros are going to open up the 2019 season tomorrow, and he doesn't have a job. This sounds like almost a silly question to ask with the team that, you know, has been to back-to-back ALCSs, but is there an area you're looking for for the Astros kind of to flesh itself out this season in terms of, like, them kind of reaching their ceiling or not? Like, is there an area at all of concern? Uh, I'd probably say if, if there's an area of concern, it's probably twofold. One is the back end of their rotation, uh, three, four, and five. Um, they have one of the best rotations in baseball history last year. They had three guys throw 200 innings. They had three guys strike out 200 or more batters, and all five of their starting pitchers were all-stars. Uh, three were all-stars last year, but all five were all-stars at one point in their career. Um, that's just not something you replicate. So just by virtue of you know logic and, and real life, um, their rotation is going to take a step back. Um, they've got proven guys in the 3, 4, and 5 spot. Colin McHugh won 19 games a couple of years ago. Wade Miley kind of reinvented himself last year and is a proven major league arm. And then Brad Peacock is a guy that has started before, is relieved, and, and done really well. So obviously how the back end of the rotation sort of fleshes out will be interesting. And then one one spot that I think not a ton of people are talking about, but that's kind of suspect in my eyes is they're catching. Um, they, they opted to go the cheaper route in the offseason and sign Robinson Chirinos to a one-year deal. He's going to be their primary catcher. He's an offensive upgrade from what they had last year, but he's one of the, he was one of the worst defensive catchers in baseball last year. And this is a team that's managed by a former catcher who expects a lot out of that position how Robinson Chirino sort of adjusts defensively. He'll obviously provide them an offensive upgrade to what they had last year, but um, how he's able to frame pitches, he was one of the worst pitch framers in baseball last year, and this is an organization that really values pitch framing. How he's able to frame and how he's able to receive and how he's able to control the running game will be something that I'll be watching the first few weeks of the season because Everybody you talk to within the organization seems to think that they've kind of fixed what's wrong with him. But this is a veteran guy, and he's been around for a long time. And, and I'm not trying to disparage him, but his, his defensive metrics have just been pretty awful his entire career. So I don't, I don't, I'm not sure I buy into having one spring training with a new club will kind of reverse that trend, but I guess we'll see. You got to, You had to get locked into a stadium for a month, and it's the Trop or the Oakland Coliseum. Which one are you picking? Are you just jumping off a bridge? Uh, I probably would pick oh, the, the Coliseum's in a really rough area. <laughs> I probably pick the I probably pick the Trop. I can go walk on the roof and do some fun things, and they have like corridors and like weird uh, like tight ropes on their roof. I'd probably go like explore the roof and have fun in the Trop. But yeah, I'd probably get locked in the Trop. Two fine American establishments. Well, Chandler, we won't take up too much of your time. We really appreciate it. Um, you can find him again at Chandler underscore Rome, pages of the Houston Chronicle, Houston Chronicle Online. Great dude, tremendous reporter, and we appreciate your time. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.